Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. My name is Pastor Chris. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. What a great day in God's presence. Amen. God has something special for us today. And uh, I just hope that you'll lean in and that you'll get the most out of what God is going to say to us through his word today. We are in a series of messages entitled Life Hacks. Have you been enjoying this series so far? Okay. A couple of you. It's all right. My, my wife, Mandy, uh, has been... Everyone keeps talking about the alligator stickers and the shoes. You guys like, some people like that life hack she showed yes, uh, last week in the video. Um, as I talked to you about um, this series, I said that each week we come together, we're going to kind of explore one of the life hacks you might see out there in the world or you might have seen on social media. But this series is about so much more than that. The reason we titled it this, it's really about the subtitle. It's about finding a better way to live. And I want you to know today, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says this, that you're a new creation. You're a brand new life. You have a better way to live, and Jesus has made it possible. And as we look to God's word, we find principles. It's full of principles that help us to live the life that God has for us. It's a life that's different than maybe the one you're living. Let's not just be Christians in name only. Let's our, let our lives shine who Christ is, how we trust him, applying the principles of God's word. And they bring about transformation. So this is a practical series of messages. My, my prayer is that this will touch up against some areas that you can leave here today and each week and you can begin to apply those principles to different areas of our lives, areas that we struggle in, areas that we feel pressure in, areas that we um, might find us challenging. It's amazing. Sometimes we can sit around scratching our heads forever, but all we need to do is turn to God's word and we can find answers, we can find principles, we can find truths that can change everything for us. And so that's what we're going to do today. But first, I, as I said, I'm going to introduce you to a life hack. And this is one for money. How many of you need a life hack for money? Anyone? All right, you don't need to see your hands. Pastor Marshall, would you hand that to me? Thank you. Here it is. You don't sound impressed. You're like, Where the, where's the cool, you know. What? This is one of the original life hacks. Anyone know what this is? A piggy bank. You know, this was invented as a life hack. As people came up with different, they had spare change all the time. They were losing it. It was all over the place. And someone had the bright idea and said, what if I stick it all in one place? And then they took it to the next level because the early ones didn't have corks in the bottom or plugs that you could pull out and empty out. It was all porcelain or all, it was all sealed all around. Anyone have one like that? So if you were going to get into that and access it, what were you going to have to do? You're going to have to break the bank. So what did that do? It, it, it caused you to have to think twice. Do I really need whatever that is in there? Do I really, no, not, please, this is not mine. It says, God loves me, little princess. This is my, my, uh, my wife's, my, my daughter's. Just I didn't have one that was a piggy bank. It was a little football. So, uh, so I borrowed hers today. But this is one of the original life hacks. And this is kind of brilliant because it causes you to have to think about what, whatever it is that you want to access that for and say, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? And the more you say there's a principle that comes out, a little bit over a long period of time makes a big difference, right? It can go a long way. And I learned this uh, a couple months ago. We were at a birthday party for, um, for a friend of ours. Their, their son was having his birthday party, and we were there to visit with the family. And as we were there, I walk into their living room, and there's a giant statue of a tiger, are you with me? 
Some of you don't seem very surprised by that. It was big. It was like this tall, started here, and went to here. And I was looking at it, and I was like, wow, that's quite a piece of furniture or like something to ornament the house. And then I saw a slit on the head of the tiger. And I thought, is this a piggy bank? And they said, yeah. I said, are you kidding me? I was looking at it, like, yeah. And I said, well, where did you get it? And they said, oh, my parents gave it to us as a gift. And they said, my parents filled it up one time. I said, are you, what? <laughs> said, well, they didn't fill it all the way, but they filled it up a lot. I said, how much money did they end up having in there when they, bro- when they emptied it? Because they didn't break it open. They had a way to access it from the bottom. $15,000. I thought, wow, I'm going to throw this thing away. I'm going to get one of those in my house. A little bit over a long period of time can go a long way. Just one little principle when we think about that. Um, the area of finances, money. Oh, doesn't money cause problems, church? <sighs> Some are like, I'm convinced the Bible says money is the root of evil. No, it's the love of money that's the root of evil. Um, but for some of us, that's one and the same. Um, money can create incredible challenges. In fact, if you were to pull most couples and they would say, what's the number one area of stress and strain in your relationship? Where do you find the most conflict? Do you know what the number one answer is across the board? Money. Money. Some of you are like, yes, I answered that question. Uh, I know what that is. Um, finances. How are we spending our money? Do we have enough money? What do we do when we don't have enough money? How does everything come together? Area of finances creates so much stress, so much strain, and so much pressure in our lives, in our relationships, um, in, in our own health. We can find ourselves overly stressed, and the pressure of financial burdens is something um, that hasn't hasn't uh, just started to exist now. We're feeling it a lot in our day and age, and there's some reasons we'll talk about today of why, um, but it's something we see all the way back in, in God's Word as well, in biblical times. And I want you to know something today. God's Word is full of principles that we can apply to every area of our lives, including this area, finance. Now you're going to say, if you're new here, oh, okay, this is a church that preaches a lot about money or about giving. I want you to know that's not the case. Uh, many that have been here for a long time know that a message uh, where we talk about finance is not something we do every single day. But here's what I know. God's word is his whole counsel to us. In everything that he would instruct us on, we have to spend time talking about. And I would think in a series where we're looking for a better way to live. Man, our lives are so connected to what we spend and how we use our finances. And there are some that you're stuck, you're buried, you're feeling all the weight of that. And I just believe that today is going to be a word in season for you. And what I want to do is I want to introduce you to four principles that come from God's word that might be able to begin to take some of the pressure and some of the burden, some of the angst, some of the stress around finances away. Wouldn't that be nice? that we can experience the truths of God's word. And these are things that I have um, prayed through and seen come alive in God's word. And I want us to explore them together. The goal today is not to apply pressure. I think that whenever a pastor gets up and starts talking about money, there's so many uh, experiences that people have had, and maybe you've not had a favorable one. Um, But I want to talk to you about this from God's word. I want to talk to you some about it from my own life, my own marriage, my own experience, and from the perspective of us as a church. Because I believe that God has shown himself faithful in every one of those areas. And, uh, and as we look in his word, he's going to just bring these principles alive to us today. Amen? So the goal isn't to have pressure. We're feeling pressure. The goal is to find some principles that would alleviate that, set us free from that. Are you ready for it? Four principles. Four life hacks, let's say, that we see from God's word in the area of finances. 
and we're going to discover this together. So if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 13, we're going to be there and we're going to spend some time in that passage today. We're going to be in a lot of different verses of scripture, so please take notes. You'll see everything um, that we're talking about here up on the screen today. The first principle that we come across in God's word is the principle of avoiding debt. The principle of avoiding debt. You're like, would they just please tell Visa and Chase and American Express that God doesn't, uh, doesn't want me in debt. He wants me avoiding debt. Will someone say amen? amen. Uh, your mailman doesn't know that because he keeps stuff in your mailbox full of it, right? I mean, every day you get something. It's like, oh, like, oh this loan, this that, this credit card, these perks, this, that. And here's what we need to think about when those come. We don't need to open up and read them and look at the fine print. We need to run and avoid them. We need to run for the hills. Um, because in God's word, we see debt is a dangerous thing. And I think what's happened is in this, in this culture that we're living in today, we become inoculated to the weight of debt in the way that it would have been biblically. If we go back in God's word, they carry debt so much more seriously. And today, um, we can find debt is something. Well, everyone has it. College debt, school debt, mortgage, car pay. Like, we all have it. We all manage it. But you know there are some kinds of debt that are um, kinds that could be heavy and over long periods of time. And then there's some debts that are unsecured, that are credit card debts that begin to rack up interest and capture people. There are people that are going and filing for bankruptcy and all kinds of challenges. Debt is a very real issue. We have a national debt that is growing um, and, and is, uh, is huge. I mean, debt is just like something we become conditioned to as if it's just a part of the life that we live. But if you go into God's word, you'll see God calls his people away from debt not into debt, away from it. The goal is to avoid it. Uh, debt can be one of the biggest areas of pressure financially because what happens is that debt ultimately comes about whenever we're stretching beyond our means. And so a loan is taken, some kind of debt is incurred when we wouldn't have enough to secure whatever it is that we want or think we need in that moment. And so what happens is the byproduct of that overstretching is a debt of some kind. And so that debt, as it continues... If we're living beyond our means, if we're walking beyond our means continuously, the debt will continue to grow. And it creates pressure. It creates strain. When we go to Proverbs chapter 20, uh, 22, verses 6 and 7, this is what God's word says. And pay attention to this verse here in verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Has anyone ever seen that verse before or heard it? We think about that. We think about that training our children. But do you know what verse follows it immediately after? Look what's connected to this. The next verse. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. I never thought of it in that context. But as one is passing down wisdom to another, training up a child, it has something to do with this as well. That the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt, again, is the byproduct of living beyond our means. It's living outside the bounds of our provision, whatever it is that's provided for us. Now, we think of that in a very um, material way. We think about it financially, but I want you to think about that spiritually as well because we see a lesson. It's a very powerful lesson that should open our eyes and cause us to lean in when we think about the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. Now, we know how that story began from our last series we went through called History, when Joseph, um, who was um, one of the, the Israelites, and he was sold into slavery, he went into prison, he went into a pit, he came through this incredible ordeal, 
he winds up in Egypt and he's plucked out of obscurity, out of the prison dungeon, brought into Pharaoh's house. And God gives him, through his provision, favor and allows him to be elevated to second in command over all of Egypt. Now, Joseph allowed the people of God for a season to experience provision and blessing in the land of Egypt. But something happened. They overstayed their provision. They got complacent and comfortable in the place that they were, and they took their eyes off the place God had provided for them. God had a promised land for them, but they were comfortable and complacent there. And I said it in that, um, in that message uh, several weeks back that today's complacency becomes tomorrow's captivity. We need to understand that in this area as well. If we become comfortable outside of the provision, stretching beyond the provision, not being in the place of the provision, then what happens eventually is a form of captivity. I saw this quote, it, it jarred me this week. It says this, remember this, debt is a form of bondage. It got real quiet in here again. Did that in first service as well. Debt is a form of bondage. Maybe you're quiet because you don't think I agree with that. No, it's absolutely true. If you go back biblically, this is the whole idea of some that would have to have, they would have a bondage debt. It meant that their debt, whatever they owe, they couldn't pay off. So they had to become a slave to the one who had lent it to them, and they had to be indentured to them, and they had to serve them until they worked off their debt. It's a form of bondage. Another person calls it a financial termite. Everything on the outside can look good, but it's burrowing and decaying and wearing out from the bottom. It's something that should be avoided. And when I think about the children of Israel, they're there, they're in bondage, they overstayed the provision, the season that God had for them in that place, and because of that, they, they themselves became slaves. And what did God send? He sent plagues. He sent all of these signs. And then he brought about by his power. He gave them freedom through the exodus. And so here's what God's desire is. If you're in that place, if you feel like right now you're trapped, you do feel like the weight of it is like a bondage. It's something that's weighing heavy on you. I'm so thankful today that where the spirit of God is and that where we lean into the Lord and where we trust him and walk with him step by step, he could lead us to a place of freedom. Will someone say Amen. And some of you know what that feels like. You know what it was like to be under those kind of weights and feeling almost like a bondage over you financially because of debt and what it's like to be free from that. And here's what I say. If you're free from debt today, you avoid debt like the plague. Let me say it again. You avoid debt like the what? Plague. The reason I say that and write it down somewhere, think back to Egypt. Think back to captivity. Think back to those things and say, I'm avoiding that like the plague. I don't want the plague. I don't want any of that. I want to run from it in the best you can. Avoid that. But at times, it can be easy. It can be easy to go down that road, and it's racking up. It's stacking up. It's piling up. So today, if you're in that place, and you say, you know what, Pastor, to be honest, I, I have a lot more debt than I can manage in my life, a lot more debt than I can deal with through the provision that I have. Stop the continually going into debt like stop it immediately like just do anything you can to adjust your lifestyle so that you won't keep going negative stop and start piece by piece digging out working out prioritizing spending and moving in that direction it's God's desire uh, for us not to be indebted to others not to feel those incredible burdens uh, but to be free of that that's why you saw the, uh, the advertisement for financial peace. This is an incredible, incredible class that I know has helped uh, millions of people in this very area. So it's something you want to pay attention to for some of the action steps we'll talk about later. So the first one is this, the principle of avoiding debt. Are you still with me? 
Good, everyone didn't leave, so I'm glad you're still with me. Because when we live under that pressure for too long, the pressure of debt or the pressure of whatever it might be financially, the wrong priorities, it causes us to have skewed thinking, and we start to allow everything in our lives to, to form around pressure areas. That starts to call the shots. And for some of us, we may be making financial decisions based on pressure, not on priority. You know what's right, you know what's wrong, but there's a pressure that's overwhelming you. And it's causing you to do what you know you shouldn't be doing because you're just trying to relieve some form of pressure. I want you to know when it comes to finances, when it comes to being a steward in the way that God's word calls us to, we don't make decisions based on pressure. We make them on priority, on the things we know would be right, the things that would honor the heart of God. And so this is an area. Um, eliminate the pressure of debt. Begin to develop a plan to move from a place of where you are to a place of getting debt-free. It might take you a while, but I'm going to tell you, a little bit over a long period of time can go a long way, right? But that's what it's about. And with God's help and even the support of others, come and talk and be a part of something of financial peace, um, and God will help you walk that journey out. That's the first principle. The second principle, it's the principle of first. And I was challenged. I heard a, preach, a, a, a teaching by the pastor down in Texas. His name is Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church. And, and as he was talking about part of this principle first, it challenged my heart a couple years ago. And I've been praying about it ever since. And I'm, I'm glad that I'd have the opportunity in this word to share that with you. But it's a principle we see in God's word that shows up time and again. It's the principle of giving first. And we see this as we go all the way back into Exodus chapter 13. And this is right after the children of Israel. They get set free from the bondage of Israel. They're set free from the captivity. They're not slaves anymore. They are now free. They're free to go and possess land. They're free to walk and carry out. And not only are they free, but they were given things as they left Egypt. So they finally have provision. They have something. And it's there that the Lord gives them a first instruction. The Lord speaks to Moses right after they get out of Egypt. He says in verse 2, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. This language here is very powerful. It is mine. The firstborn belongs to me. And they're coming out of Egypt. He's like, what is this all about? God's teaching them something. It's a principle. It's not just a directive in that moment, but it's a principle begin to see woven throughout the fabric of Scripture. It's a principle that shows up again in the Bible when he talks about first fruits. The Lord says, the first of the first fruits, bring them to me. Bring them to the storehouse. Bring them into the place of worship. Bring them to me. Give them to those that are taking care of the house so that the people of God in my house will have food and have what's needed. And so whenever there were those that would harvest and would take care of their fields, the first harvest, the first fruits that they would receive, the first fruits were very important. They were the most precious because in that time, a plague could come like this. Something could come. Famine could come. Drought could come. Something could come and wipe out all of their increase. All of their harvest could be compromised in a moment. And so whenever they came to the point that they had the first fruits, the first fruits for some people in some societies, that was a symbol of security for them. Because when they received the first fruits, that was like, good, now we have this. We can either eat it or we can stow it away and we can make sure that we're going to have a harvest next year. Because if everything goes wrong, at least we have food here. We have enough. But what God says in the very beginning, take the first of the first fruits and you give those to me. It's like, but what about our security? God's teaching them something. I'm your security. You're not going to find your security in that. Trust me with the first and watch what I do with the rest. I'm faithful with the rest. 
And so they would learn to trust God with the first. He's drilling it in. Then I said, of all the firstborn, I want the firstborn. They're for me. They either need to be redeemed or sacrificed, but the firstborn are mine. He's very emphatic about that. When God fulfills his promise to Abraham, it says, I'm going to give you countless descendants as, as far as the eye could see. And when he has his first descendant, Isaac, the son, the child of promise, God says, now take your son, your firstborn son. See, first, sacrifice him to me. What was that all about? We see at the end that God provided. But he provided when Abraham responded in faith. You know why? Because there's something being instilled in the people of God from the beginning. That, Lord, I'm going to bring you my first, and I'm going to watch you be faithful with the rest. And he even was able to say that for his own son, where it's like mathematically impossible. Like, okay, this is my only son. You said I'm going to have countless people. It's going to have to happen through him. But he said, then, God, you'll raise him up from the dead because I'm trusting you, and I'm going to obey you and take you at your word. So we see this idea first continue to come through. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 4, we find the first brothers in Scripture, Cain and Abel. And this story doesn't end too well for one of them. But at the beginning of the story, we learn what causes the turn of heart for one of them. It says that in the process of time, in chapter 4, of Genesis. I'm sorry, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. It says, In the process of time, that means over a long period of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So what happened is Cain, he took care of the ground. He harvested. So it says he brought an offering in the process of time. At some point in time, he brought it to the Lord. But his brother, Abel, came in verse 4, and it says, Abel also brought, he brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering. But he didn't receive Cain's. We say, what's that about? Is it that he prefers animals over, over that? I mean, if it was me, yes, that's, the, that's it. I'm meat, not salad and vegetables and all that. But that's not the heart of God. It's around these words, these qualifiers. It says, in the process of time, Cain brought an offering. Abel brought the first in the fat, but he brought the first and the best to the Lord. Something about that that honored the heart of God in that moment. Something that just continues to come through that. You know why? Because first, giving God first is an act of faith. That people didn't realize that, what if I don't have? I'm, this is my firstborn. This is the, the first one I have in my, in my flock. And the Lord did not say, have ten. And then take one of them and bring them to me. Not have ten, then bring the first one to me. He says, bring me the firstborn. But what if no, none of others come? What if this is the only one? Trust me, I'm faithful. And what happens is the people of God learn from the beginning what it means to put God first, to trust him first. Jesus said this, he said, seek first the kingdom in its righteousness and watch everything else be added unto you. It, that was in the context of him teaching, we have a good, good father who's in heaven that looks to give his children good gifts. You trust him. The flowers of the field aren't worried. The birds of the air are not worried. These other things, they don't worry and they don't try to control everything like you do. But when you seek him first, watch, and he'll take care of you. He'll lead you. He'll sustain you. He'll give you what you need. Jesus is teaching the same principle that God has been instilling in the heart of man from the beginning. You know why? Because there's this fixation within us, right? To want to control. There's this idol that gets created by money and by finances, by what it can buy for us. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot worship God and money. 
You can't do it. It's incompatible. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. And some, you can become resentful of God because you feel like, oh, he's just trying to get to my money and my money is like my thing. Like, you know why? Because an idol is being touched every time you come to God's word. It's like he said, you're going to hate one, you're going to love the other. It's going to show it. Your heart can't be divided between these two things. So whenever we come to the Lord first and we say, it's, it's all I have now. It's the first of what I have. I don't know what else is coming, but I trust you. That act of faith, I believe, matters incredibly to the heart of God when we read through Scripture. It says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, it says, The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled in plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God teaches us over and over again when Joshua and the children of Israel head into the promised land. What's, does anyone know what the first city they take is? Jericho, where the walls come down. Do you know what God gave instruction about to them after Jericho came down? He said, I want you to take all the plunder from there and you don't keep any of it for yourself. Give all of that to me. Why? Because it's first, the first city. There's many more that are to come, but you got to trust me now with the first. And he did, but Achan didn't. God took that very seriously. Not just because one man was being greedy or afraid or whatever his reason was. It's because God was teaching something about the heart, the character of heart he was forming in them. It's one of trusting me. I'm your provision. This isn't your provision. I'm your provision. I'm your strong tower. I'm the one. Trust me. Trust me. It's an act of trust whenever we're able to do this. It's something the Lord's been challenging in my heart. The principle of first. I've asked that question of myself. And my wife, when we sat, we sit down and we're going through all of our bills in a month and we receive our provision for that month. And I asked Mandy one day, I said, Mandy, what, what bill do we always feel most pressured to pay first? And we say, normally we bring up the, the mortgage or these other things. And I said, why are we doing that? Subconsciously, is that where we're trying to find most of our security? It's like, like what would it look like if we would just go to God first? I don't think he's looking to punish me for not, but like, what would it look like to just say, God, we trust you first. You're the first check I'm signing, Lord. It's going to you. Because you know what? Pharaoh isn't first. The mortgage company isn't first. Some of your credit card debt is not first. God's first. Trust him first. Find your security in him first. Is it making sense, church? The principle of First. Another principle that comes to us from God's word is the principle of tithing. And you've heard about this. You have seen it written on offering envelopes. But the word tithe literally means a tenth. So when I say the principle of tithing, I'm not talking about just the, the law that was written there that we see that God gave to Moses for the children of Israel. I'm talking about the principle of giving a tenth to the Lord, giving a portion. And, and that portion uh, throughout the Old Testament is very clearly a tenth. And that then begins to become the starting point in the New Testament. Forgiving, and we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. So this principle spans throughout Scripture. It goes beyond the law. It goes beyond um, just what God told Moses and the children of Israel in that specific time, but we see it much earlier on in Scripture. In fact, hundreds, as many as five or six hundred years before the law was ever given, the idea of giving a tithe, the tenth, shows up in Scripture. So it's another part where God's saying, trust me first, but also trust me with giving a portion. And, and we see this idea of a tithe, the tenth, being given. We see it first show up in this mysterious passage with, a, with an individual that some of you have read the name, but you haven't been able to pronounce it. I'll try to help you with that today. 
He shows up in Genesis chapter 14. They don't know. It says the Bible says he doesn't have a father or mother. He's king of Salem and he's prince of God most high. And a priest of God most high. King of Salem, priest of God. His name is Melchizedek. Has anyone ever come across that name? Melchizedek comes and, and Abram comes to him. And Abraham has received the promise of God and the blessing of God and his provision. And it says that when he came and he met him, this Melchizedek, who we just don't know too much about, but in the New Testament, he's very significant. We read about him in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. And it says that Abraham blessed him and then gave him a tenth of everything he had. So we just see this, this idea. And there's nothing before that. God said, hey, you have to do this. He just did this. This was a response giving to the Lord because of the one that had come who God had sent as, the, as that messenger. So he gave to him. We go two generations later and we get to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22. As Jacob is experiencing God's blessing and as he's stepping out into uh, his identity and what God is calling him to do, he comes to a place and he makes a promise to give a tenth, to give a portion to the Lord. This is 400 years before the law is ever given. He says, this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. This place will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth of it to you. This is before. This is before the laws, before God had to say it and write it um, out for the people. This is something that was getting instilled in the heart of those people that God had spoken to, called in that first family, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was instilling this principle in their hearts. It carries all the way throughout the Old Testament. We get to Malachi chapter 3. And the Lord says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And try me in this. Another other translation says, test me in this. Says the Lord of hosts. There's, there's many areas the Lord says, don't test the Lord. There's one area that he invites us to test him in. Pay attention to what it is. It says, test me and see if I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there won't be enough room for you to receive it. He says, look at, like, test me in this. Do you know why? Because by the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. <laughs> like, it's a God of, of every generation. There's this fixation, there's security that we try to find in it. There's so many, we, we actually don't realize, but we worship it. God says, test me in it. Test me and see, I'm more faithful than any dollar bill you've ever seen. Because when you look at your dollar bill, do you know what your dollar bill says? In God we trust. But it's like, I don't trust him as much, I trust that. Don't trust the almighty dollar. It won't, it won't come through for you. Uh, say it, I would say, it's written, on, it's written on every dollar. Is it written on your heart? In God we trust. In God I trust. In God this house trusts. So this is what happens. This principle comes forward. It's an act of trusting God. He says, test me in this. So we see that tithing is really a principle of testing and trusting God. It's trusting him. And when you combine it with the previous one about giving him first, when we come to the Lord and when the first we give is to the Lord, we say, Lord, I'm taking a portion first and it's going to you. I the portion for this and that bill and that. But Lord, I'm coming to you first because I trust you. I test you in that and watch. And the Lord provides everything else along the way. As a church, we've been through good seasons and challenging seasons. We moved into this building in the early 1980s from Elizabeth, New Jersey. Some of you don't know this history. Some of you do. It's worth repeating. When we came here, we went through an incredible challenge within the first few years of being on this facility. The church at the time was, was large and growing, but in a series of a few weeks, it dwindled down. 
and there were not many people left, and there was a huge mortgage, and there were all kinds of burdens, and the pressure was on, and for almost 10 years, the body felt that pressure and walked through that pressure, and it got so bad by the early 90s that there was not enough. There was barely two weeks' worth of funds to pay the bills and take care of the things that were needed here in this church. This is a big facility, too. And less than two weeks' worth of funds were in, in, in the bank in holding. And the leaders at the time got together, and some of you are in the room today. And you know what this was about. You were there. You, you remember this. And, and the, the, the challenge of the day was this. We have the bills. We have all the things that we have to take care of, and we have any incidentals that could happen we know nothing about. But we also have these missionary commitments, these people that we've been supporting and that we've been coming through on. And the way that things are going, it's not looking like we're going to have enough for everything. What do we do? And the hearts of those leaders at that time said, you know what? We're going to trust God and we're going to continue to support the work of the ministry. And God's going to take care of us. And guess what? They tested the Lord in that. They gave to the Lord in that. They put him first. They may have even at that time or right after increased giving to missions. So we're trusting God. And they said you could chart that on a map and see how God has just poured in and been faithful to sustain every step along the way. I didn't do this in first service, but I'll do it now. I want to thank you if you're one of those leaders. Within the sound of my voice, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for hearing that and sensing, because it's one of the, the stones that we can look back to and remember and say, God has been faithful. You know, our name of our church used to be Ebenezer. Thus far, God has been faithful to us, and he sustained us along the way. This church, part of our DNA as a body, if you're newer, you have to know this. It's about trusting God in those areas. And God has poured out his blessing. But here's the danger. If we get too comfortable in the season of blessing that we forget the principles that got us here, then we're in danger. We're in worse shape than they were when they had two weeks' worth of stuff in the bank. Because we got to remember the heart of what God calls us to in his word. And so we give. We give. It says in Leviticus 2730, it says, of all the tithe of the land um, and all, all the tithe of the land, whether seed of the land, fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus is talking and he's speaking to some Pharisees and religious leaders. And he says to them in Matthew 23, 23, he said, you know, some of you, you tithe and you give and you tithe of your spices and all these things. But you have abandoned the weightier matters. The more important things, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. And he said compassion and caring for the needs of people and, and, and looking to those areas. And he said, you should have done them and not left the other things undone. He says justice, mercy, faith, these things are important. He said, you're giving the tithe and you're forgetting about all those things that matter so much to the heart of God. But what Jesus ends with, he said, you should have done the first without leaving the others undone. So these things matter. So you get to the New Testament and say, Pastor, you know, I heard some people say, you know, uh, tithing or giving in that way and giving a portion. That's just Old Testament. It's just law. That's just built in there. I'm telling you, it began before that. And I want you to know it carries on well after that. I don't think God is so legalistic that he's there running through it. But here's what it represents for, for me and, and for what as, as I've talked with our leaders and as I've prayed about this. I believe that the tithe is really the starting point for a New Testament believer. You're right, it isn't about the tenth, it isn't about a tenth, it isn't about, it's about a portion, and, and that's the starting point that we see in God's word. And now that we say that Jesus has set us free from the yoke we talked about last week, does that mean we're free to abandon that altogether? No. Do you know what happens in the New Testament? They go from there into radical generosity. 
They go from saying, no, don't take a tenth, Lord, take it all. And they sell their houses and their possessions, and they give everything to the Lord. That's what's happening in the book of Acts as revival is breaking out. People are touched with radical generosity. And they see themselves giving unto the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, I want to just draw your attention there briefly because there's another principle that now comes up. As we, as we just, let's walk through it again. We see the principle of avoiding debt. This isn't something that God wants for his children. So he wants to lead us to a place of freedom. He wants us to put him first. And even if you're in that place of debt, you still put him first. You put him first in everything of your life. Put him first. Give. Give a, 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 the principle of tithing, giving, setting aside that portion unto the Lord. So obedience as an, as, as an act of worship to him. But when we get to the New Testament, that really seems to be the starting point for believers because there's this other principle that comes out in the New Testament and we only see it in certain portions of the Old Testament where God's blessing is being poured out and it's the principle of generous giving of generosity this principle we see in the book of Acts chapter 4 I'm going to invite Pastor Rick to come up at this time it says all the believers they were in one heart and one mind and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From that time, those who owned land from time to time, they sold it. And they sold their homes and they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Church, this is radical generosity. This is the picture of a New Testament church. It isn't about what's the minimum, Lord. It's about, Lord, how generous have you been? And here's why. Here's what unlocks it. Verse 33. It says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Giving generously is a work of God's grace within us. It's when we're overwhelmed by his grace, when we recognize the magnitude of what he has done for us. And when you go all the way back to the beginning, every time that the people of God are giving, do you know why? It's in response to God's giving to them. It's in response to God's blessing to them. You know know what I've realized? We come as New Testament believers. Here it is. You ready? Giving is our response to the gospel the good news of what Jesus has done for us. That's what it really is for us. And all along the way is always response to good news. Abram, God had good news, a promise for him. He responded to that with giving. God has set the people of Israel free from slavery and was the first thing, now give to me. It's a response to what I've done for you. The incredible thing. And when we see the full measure of God's grace poured out in his only son, that Jesus was the firstborn. God's first and God's best. And it says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, not when we deserved it, he gave his son. And when we're touched with that grace, it opens up something in our hearts and our lives that we can be radical in our generosity. We can give above and beyond. And we say, Lord, we're doing this because our heart has been touched by the grace of what you've done for us. There have been many people in this body that you've given generously to the Lord. You've given above and beyond. That's why you'll see tithes and offerings on our envelope because we believe in honoring the Lord by giving that portion to him. But then we invite every year our body to come together and we say above and beyond that, we're gonna give an offering. We call it our faith promise. 
and we give that to the Lord and that will all go out the door to missions and that will support some great works that are happening around the, around the world. And so we say, we give to the Lord this, but then we go above and beyond that. And we give generously unto the Lord. When there's needs, we give generously unto the Lord. And some of you have been so generous and you've helped meet incredible needs and you've heard the vision of what God wants to do in and through us here at Evangel Church and you've sown into that. See, for 20 years, we've had kind of an issue here as a church. It's one that's come up from time to time and you've heard about it. Because at one point in time, we, we were in debt. We didn't own this building outright. We had bills and needs, but little by little, the Lord's help and his grace, he's got us out and we got out of that debt. And we now own the building. We don't have debt as a church. And God has put his blessing in, but God has continued to bless. You know why? Because I believe that the church and the leadership got together at strategic times and honored the Lord. All that they did were they put the principles of God's word into practice. And God has poured his blessing out again and again. And he's poured out more blessing than the church has needed in seasons. And so that began to become saved up. And over years it was saved up and we knew the purpose because we believed God would one day expand our borders and that we would, we would be able to secure more land because we, we are in a, not as big of a piece of land as we need here. And we're on about six acres now, but right next to us, we had a neighbor that had six acres identical to us. And for 20 years, church, I have to tell you, we've been trying to purchase that land. And we've stood in front of you, and some of you know the story, and you're laughing today because you know it, right? And it's never worked out, and it's not come through, and we've just been waiting, and it's never been the right time. Three years ago, we're getting ready for a membership meeting. And right before that membership meeting, as we have some money in the bank that we've been saving for a while, I preach on probably the worst passage two days before a membership meeting, the parable of the talents. And some of our members said, have we buried our talent? We buried what God has given us. We got to use this for his glory and for the kingdom. We got to do something. We can't just sit around and wait around. God has work for us to do. And we came together as a leadership. We pray, we sought the Lord, and we came back with what we called a kingdom stewardship plan for how we could take the resources and the things that God has blessed us with and we can use them to invest in the kingdom. And it was through that that we formed a partnership with World Help. And because of the generosity of this house and those of you that have sown generously into the work of God, we've seen a medical clinic built in, in uh, Uganda. We've seen clean water wells around this world. We've seen Guatemala, a village that's going to be transformed. Because of that generosity, we've gone to Teen Challenge. And this Thursday, we're dedicating a chapel that because of that generosity, we were able to pour out. We made a commitment as a church, as a membership, that we'd pour out above and beyond our tithes and offerings that came in over a million dollars into missions over a three to five year period. It's because of the radical generosity. That's, that's generous. That's above and beyond church because we said, God, you blessed us to be a blessing. And Lord, we let you take care of everything else. And I'm excited to tell you, church, that when we keep our eyes on him, when we keep putting him first, the Lord keeps bringing back because as of last week, we took possession of the land next door and we now own it. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God's been so faithful. I'm not telling you we're about to buy it. I'm saying we have in a five, almost five and a quarter acres of land. God has expanded and now we have that. I want to show you it on a map because you need to see this to take it all in. Take a look at this. This is our footprint of who we are and this is our existing footprint as a church on the next slide. And this is the land that God has now given us. All this land. Praise God. Will someone praise God and give him the glory for that? We're so thankful for that. And I believe it's connected. I believe we got to a point where we said, God, we're just doing the work. We're going to expand the kingdom. And he brings it full circle every single time. 
teach us we can't outgive God. Our church has learned that over and over again. Have you, have you learned that yet? Have I learned that yet? I love telling the stories about us as a church, but this church is the people. We're a new generation church. We gotta live out these principles to see us continuing to go forward so that our children will tell the same stories about a group of people, a body that's full of men and women that we trust God and we've seen him pour out his blessing and provision in our lives. Amen? I want to bring this full circle and get back to Exodus chapter 13, verses 14 through 16. As you're looking right there, I just want to remind you of a a couple verses. I'm sorry I, I didn't get to share them, but I think it's important. Then in 1 Chronicles 19, David asked this question. He says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And here's what he says, why? Because everything comes from you. And we've only given you what comes from your hand. Remember that. When we're giving to God, we're only giving him back what he's put in our hands. We're only putting back in his hands what he's put in our hands. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. This is about generous giving. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And as a church, when I say we've been generous, I want you to know this, that we've charted over the last 10 years, on average, of every dollar that comes in, 20%, a double tithe goes out. And we send that out to missionaries. We send that out of this body to meet the needs of people far from us. And I want you to know that that's what God has called us to. And so we're practicing that as a body and as a church. And when you give, know that that's how we desire to be stewards of God's money and resources, that God would be glorified um, and that he would continue to advance. And so we praise him for that. And we come to Exodus. And this is where we get to our point of application today. Because God's told them they've come out of Egypt He now says to Moses, now I want you to consecrate for me every firstborn. They're mine. You're going to sacrifice them or you're going to redeem them, but they're mine. And then God goes on to tell him something. Because he said, one day you're going to get to a new land. You're going to forget about all this. And he said this, in the days to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? You're going to say to him, son with a mighty hand. The Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's going to say this. Your your son's going to come to you one day. Whether you're filling out a check or you're you're doing whatever. And in that context, as he's getting ready to to give up and sacrifice one of his firstborn. Dad, why are you doing that? Dad, is that responsible? (laughs) What what are you doing? He said, in that time, you're going to say, well, son, I want you to know we haven't always owned land. We haven't always been where we are. Once we were slaves. But I want you to know that our God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he rescued us from that. And so now it's my joy to honor him and to give him of the first. It's an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude. It's an act of thanksgiving. He said, this is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And the Lord said this, it's going to be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord has brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. I want you to know that that enduring legacy is true for us as well. That one day your kids will talk to you. One day Lily and Josiah will talk to me and say, Dad, why are we doing it that way? Why are we giving like that? I mean, we can go on a vacation. We can do this. We can do that. You know why? Because I wasn't always a pastor. I wasn't always a Christian. I was in slavery to sin. 
But God came by a mighty hand in his outstretched arm, and he saved me, and he rescued me. It's my joy to give to him. It's my joy to honor him in this way. It's my joy to do this. And your sons and daughters will ask, he says, and this is how we answer them. So it's important because these principles have to take root, church, in our hearts. And what we're going to find is where there was pressure, there's going to be freedom like we've never experienced before. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So I have four application steps for us today. Wherever you find yourself. The first one, for some, you feel the pressure. And for you, you need to sign up for Financial Peace University. And you say, why are you just recommending that one program? Because it's the best one I've come across. You're going to learn God's principles in a deeper way. You're going to find accountability and you're going to find a process and a plan for how you can manage the challenges that you're faced with. You go through that. You talk to us. If you feel like you need to go through that and there's something that's prohibiting you from it, we'll help you in any way we can. But get there and get, get moving in that direction. You could sign up today. It's going to begin in a week or so. The second begin to give first. Put the principle first into action. Begin to trust the Lord first. Perhaps that's an area God's challenging you in as you've heard the word today. For some of you, you, you don't currently tithe. That I tell you that that's a step then for you to take. That's a step for you to take today to say, Lord, all right, I'm going to begin to do this. And I'm telling you, I'm not doing this. There's no pressure on my back because I'm not being told by early, hey, giving's down. No, God's blessing. God's good. This isn't something I want from you. It's something I want for you. This is for you and for your life and your walk with God. Whether it's here at Evangel or God brings you to another church where he plants you, tithe, give. Give unto the Lord. Give into the work of the ministry in that place God has planted you. And if you're in that place that you're doing that, then begin to take steps towards generosity. Allow the grace of God to allow you to give in that way and watch what God does in and through that and in your life. Amen? A little bit over a long period of time can go a long way. But when we give to the Lord, it's ultimately our response to the gospel, to what he's done in us. Would you stand with me today? I told you this would be a practical word. I pray that God would give you handles, that you would just take hold of this and you would begin to run with it. But I want to pray for you. And if you have an area that I've talked about today, it's touched up against some part of your heart, would you just maybe in the quietness of this moment, just take a posture of surrender, whether it's opening your hands or lifting your hands and surrender to the Lord, whatever it is, I just want to pray over you right now. I don't need to know what it is, but you may feel that this has been applicable to you in some way. I just want to pray that God's spirit will seal this word in your heart, that you'll be able to carry out that which he's prompting you towards today. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now, Lord God. We thank you for the power of your word, Lord God. We thank you that you speak to us a word that's in season. I pray right now, Lord God, that you would watch over this entire room, Lord God, that from the front to the back, Lord God, that you would begin to meet your people at their point of need, Lord God. May you meet them with a wisdom from your word, Lord God, as they look to you, as, as, as they uh, lean on you and cling to you and trust you, Lord God. Pour out your provision, Lord God. Sustain them and lead them to freedom in every way, Lord God. We thank you that you've blessed us. We thank you, Lord God, that your grace is sufficient for us. And we thank you today, Lord God, that you've blessed us so that we can be a blessing. So go before us now, we pray, Lord God. We thank you and we praise and glorify your name. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. If you need prayer, you can feel free to come forward. We're going to sing one closing song. You're free to go. Please get connected with all that's available out there. And we can't wait to see you again next week. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.